You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit jointheventure.com or facebook.com slash jointheventure. We hope you enjoy. So I said it earlier, but unless you, in case you came in a little bit later uh, after I had said it, um, today's message as we get going into things is going to be a little bit PG-13 at places. And so if you're a parent with small kids in here, uh, that you wouldn't be okay with them watching the PG-13 movie, um, then I just want to let you know we do have a really awesome kids class in the back, and maybe they don't typically go to that. It's okay. We love to have them in here. Uh, but I do have a volunteer that's willing to go back there right now and, and help you sign your kids into there. They're going to be doing some cool stuff back there. So uh, it'll be a while before we get anything sketchy. But uh, just uh, you want to make that move at any point, that'd be fine with me. Uh, if you want your kids to be in here and hear, hear whatever we have to say, uh, it's going to be all biblical stuff, and uh, more power to you. I'm proud of you. Good job. Um, not that you did anything wrong if your young kids aren't ready yet. I mean, my five-year-old doesn't need to be in here. So, all right, here we go. Um, so the other day, I'm, a, I'm sitting in my house. I'm just hanging out. And outside, I just hear this crash. It clearly the crash of a lot of breaking glass. Now, I've got two kids, so I immediately know one of them did it. You know, so I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, so I just need to figure out why and when and how. So I walk outside, and I find my son standing, staring at the... Uh, the wall where we we used to have this big glass storm door he was standing there staring in disbelief as he stood there with his soccer cleats on and his socks on and a soccer ball under his arm and a pile of glass at the bottom of the door and it used to be really big glass now he's staring at an empty aluminum door frame and i get up there i'm like oh, okay but what happened and he says I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. That's his, by the way, canned response. Like, no matter what happened, he didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. And so then, of course you didn't mean to. Like, obviously, it, it wasn't your goal to go out and break the window. Like, you'd have to be really malicious to do that. But I, I, then I looked at him and I said, okay, maybe you didn't mean to. But, bud, you remember that I told you. Don't kick the ball this part of the brick wall because there's a big glass door here. Yes, I remember that. Remember the time you hit the metal part of the door and I said, dude, you got real close there. Stop kicking the ball right there. Yes, I remember that. You remember when you were kicking it at the other windows of the house? Yes, I remember that. And you're going to stand here and tell me you didn't mean to. What do you think happened when you kicked the ball? And so then I said to him something that I say, oh man, we probably say it at least once a day to one of our kids. We say, maybe you didn't mean to, but you need to mean not to. You follow my logic? Maybe you didn't mean to, but you need to mean not to. Like, let's take some intentional ownership of our actions here, guys. And let's not kick the soccer ball towards the big glass door. You need to set out meaning not to. Intentionally beginning to plan for doing things a smarter way. Like, I mean, rarely do you mean to get a speeding ticket. You're like, you know what? It'd be fun today. Getting pulled over for about 15 minutes. And then after like two months from now, going to, going to court for about two and a half days. And then pay all kinds of money just to have them drop the charges anyway, right? That'd be fun. No, you don't mean to get a speeding ticket, but what if you meant not to? What if you paid better attention to the speed limit signs, right? That's what my wife tells me. Every single time I get on the road, about five minutes since she texts me, set your cruise control. I'm like, okay, yes. You know, you've got to mean not to. You've got to set out intentionally looking for a smarter way. Or to borrow our word from this series today, a wise way to live. So how do we do that? How do we find ourselves in a place where we can avoid the pitfalls that keep us away from bad things, specifically today as we look in the Bible, to keep us away from the things that will pull us away from God's plan for our life? We have a book in this book of Proverbs. Uh, this is week two of that. And we're in this series called Hashtag 
wisdom. Uh, and so in the hashtag wisdom series, what I'm doing is looking straight through the book of Proverbs and saying, what are some of the wisest things we can learn from the book of Proverbs? Proverbs is a book of wisdom literature written by uh, what the Bible calls the, the wisest man to ever live, King Solomon. And we can learn a lot from him. To get into this idea of the day, how do I not only not mean to, but mean not to, I want to introduce you to two ladies in the book of Proverbs. Well, they're not really ladies. They're not people. They're not human beings. They're actually personified concepts that as the poet, as the proverbial writer writes these words, he kind of personifies the ideal into one of two ladies. Uh, I'm going to introduce you to them right now. Their names are Wisdom and Folly. Wisdom and Folly. F-O-L-L-Y. Like mistakes. Folly. And to make it fun, uh, I want to give them names. Uh, I'm going to call them Madam Wisdom and Mistress Folly. See how you, Madam Wisdom's kind of regal, Mistress Folly's kind of, you know, she's kind of shady business. And, and I think it also kind of sounds like you're playing that board game Clue, like it was Mistress Folly in the, in the laboratory with the hairdryer, you know, I don't know. Um, so, but let's jump in, we're going to meet these ladies, uh, we're going to be in two chapters today in Proverbs, first in chapter 9, so if you've got your Bible and you want to pull it out, we'll be in Proverbs chapter 9, it's almost in the middle of your Bible, and then a little bit to the right of that. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we give them away for free. There's some under the, the seats around you and, and also in the back. And also, as always, they're going to be on the screen behind me as I read. We'll be in chapter 9, and then in a few minutes we're going to ch- flip to chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Let's introduce ourselves to these two ladies. First, Madam Wisdom. Proverbs 9, starting at verse 1. It says, Wisdom has built her house. She set up seven pillars. She's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She's also set her table. She sent out her servants. And she calls from the highest point of the city. She says, let all who are simple come to my house. Those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food, drink the wine that I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live, walk in the way of insight. So that's Lady Wisdom. She's got a nice house. She's got this imagery of seven pillars. I don't want to get into what that could and couldn't mean. I don't know, but it just gives us imagery of a strong home that you come into. And she's laid this feast and she says, come here, feed yourself, nourish yourself on what I have to offer. I can teach you. And she is Lady Wisdom. Uh, Here, Lady Wisdom is representing a life lived for God. Okay. I'm going to put that there to start with as a placeholder for Lady Wisdom. And then a few verses later, we meet her arch nemesis, Mistress Folly. Listen to how uh, he describes her in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 13. It says, folly is an unruly woman. She's simple and she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city. And she's calling out to those who pass by, who go straight by on their way. This is what she says. Let all who are simple come to my house. Sound familiar? It's the same invitation that Madam Wisdom's giving. Those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. Whatever that means. But little do they know. That the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. See, Mr. Folly is deceiving. She, too, is inviting everybody to a, far, a party. She wants them to come to the banquet. But unlike Lady Wisdom, she can't deliver. She's got nothing to eat at her house. Her party's empty. In fact, uh, it should just kind of shake us a little bit when we look at verse 18. But little do they know that the dead, the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. I'm not going to insult your intelligence and try to explain all the symbolism of this. You don't have to be an English professor to get what's going on here. One's good and one's bad. But we've all met Mistress Folly before, haven't we? This was the friend who came to us and said, come on, just do it. Nobody will ever find out. That person lied to you, didn't they? No one will ever find out. Or it was that moment where you were like, you know what? Just one more time, right? That won't hurt. Just one more time. 
Mr. Folly, she's full of disguise and deceit. Have you ever met these two ladies? So they're both throwing a party. And they're both sending out the same invitation. Those who are simple, come to me. And we'll get to the word simple in a second, because that seems kind of demeaning, but it's actually a pretty good word to describe all of us at some point of our life. Everyone's invited. So that's the setup for the story. You've got these two ladies. Now, what I want to do is flip the pages, a couple pages back to chapter 7. Because what happens in the book of Proverbs, Solomon is teaching as a father, instructing a son or a couple of sons. And so dads, moms, if you've ever sat with your kids and you're like, you know, put the seat down or the milk goes in the refrigerator or make sure the dishes go in the dishwasher. Like you're instructing them, right? And those are the things that you're teaching them. And so this is what's happening in the book of Proverbs for much of it. So we back up to chapter 7 and Solomon gets into some serious business as he's instructing his sons. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 7. He says, my son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, this is Madam Wisdom here. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And to insight, you are my relative. They will keep you from the adulterous woman. From the wayward woman with her seductive ways. Well, that escalated quickly. Like we went from like, I got some good advice. And then we're talking about adulterous women and seductive words. Like, how do we get there so quick? Uh, you who are parents and have young kids, some of you have already passed this, uh, this magical threshold, but when you know that you've got to have the talk with your kids, like, is that awkward? I remember the talk with my dad, it was just like, whoa, <laughs> why are we having this conversation right now? I'm so embarrassed and confused. But you know, here's the thing, uh, a good parent won't let the awkwardness of a situation keep them from teaching them their kids from, from what's important. It might be awkward, your kid might want to run out in front of a truck. But we're going to have to dissuade them from that because that's a bad idea, right? And so parents, we've got to stand up and do awkward things sometimes. But um, Solomon dives right into the deep end here with the story he's about to tell. Because this isn't just the talk. This gets serious. Uh, this is, by the way, the talk that Solomon's about to have with his kids, I, I never had with my dad. And so maybe it would have helped me. I don't know. Um, but Proverbs chapter 7, verse 6, this is him telling a story. And so he starts out like this to his son. He says, okay, at the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice and I saw among the simple... I noticed a young man, a youth, who had no sense. By the way, the funniest passage in the whole Bible. Um, A youth who had no sense, like there's a difference, right? Um, Now, he calls them simple. The word simple here, it might seem rude to call somebody simple, uh, but it's really a good word. It could be also translated and understood as the word naive or uh, inexperienced. And so, I mean, all of us have been at that point at some point in our life, right? We're, we're, We're simple or we're maybe innocent. Uh, or, or we're naive and we don't know any better. And so, and then he jumps into this, this next section with this poor naive man. Uh, by the way, this is the part where he gets a little bit rated PG-13, but look at verse 8. He said, he was going down. This is the guy he saw from his window. He looks down. He was going down the street near her corner, walking in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading and the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him. She was dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. She's unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay home. Now in the street, now in the square, at every corner she lurks. And she took hold of him, and she kissed him with a brazen face. And she said, today I fulfilled my vows, and I have food for my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you, and I found you. Ooh, racy. 
Now, he tells this story. Uh, it reminds me of one of those nature shows, like Steve Irwin or somebody. He's, like, looking down, and he's, like, sitting in his Jeep, and he's looking out into the, the flock of gazelles, and one of them's about to get eaten by, like, a lion, and he's just watching it happen. He's like, ah, crikey, here we have an adolescent gazelle recently weaned from his mother's milk. <laughs> there he is frolicking among the tall weeds. There she prowls, the lioness. And she's hungry for gazelle, right? That's, that's kind of what's going on with this guy, man. You're looking down. And now we're sitting up in the window and we're looking down and we're like, don't do it. Stop. Stop. Watch out. Don't go there. And he's down there going, what? Like, this is awesome. This is great. It's like we're watching one of those old horror movies from the 1950s and you're like, don't go upstairs. Don't go. No, don't go in that room. Not in that closet. The chainsaw murderer is in the closet. Oh, too late. Oh, well. Next movie. You know, like, that's... You wish you could call him and make him stop. But here's the thing. It looks dangerous from the top looking down. But when you're down on street level, folly is the master of disguise. Actually, I would call her the mistress of disguise. She often looks so inviting, so innocent, so beautiful, so good, tempting, so tempting. It's like that, uh, that big, that big uh, seven-layer chocolate cake that somebody left on your kitchen table. And you're on a diet. You walk by the kitchen, you're like, mmm. Hello, beautiful. <laughs> you know, and you just want one little slice before you know it, you ate the whole cake, and you're like, I don't know where it went. It's tempting. It's, it's that snooze button when you stayed up a little too late, and you know you're going to run late for work, but just nine more minutes. It's that extra $5 the cashier gives you when uh, she thought you paid with a 10, but you actually played with a 5. What do I do with this? It seems small. It seems innocent. It seems like no big deal. On street level. But when we look down and we see the temptation from afar, we're like, man, you know, that's leading to a bad place. She's the, the mistress of disguise. Let's, let's look, though. This is how the Apostle Paul describes the devil. Second Corinthians eleven fourteen says, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So often the evil things of this world look so beautiful. But make no mistake, he's no angel. I love what the Apostle Peter adds to the conversation in a letter he writes, 1 Peter 5, 8 says, But be alert, be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Even the lion hides in the tall grass. You know why? Because zebras like tall grass. And it's a good place to hide out. Now, you know what she is. She's not trying to hide it. She got on a little black dress and the perfume, and she got her hair and nails all did up. She's dressed the part. She's ready to strike. And she starts by stroking this young man's ego. She says, I, I came out looking for you. you. Did you catch that? I got all my business taken care of, and I came out looking for you. And I found you, big boy. <laughs> and he's like, whoa. And all here, here's, what, here's what I imagine this young man hears. He starts to hear the soundtrack playing in the background. Okay, the CD starts playing. Oh, this is my friend. Yes. How could this possibly be a bad idea? And as the music fades out, it gets real. Guys, if we have a life that's not focused on God honoring things, when temptation presents itself in a moment of opportunity, it seems like a great idea. And we will end up in the lion's mouth. Let's see how this plays out. Proverbs chapter 7 verse 16 says, I, I've covered my, this is her talking to him. She's trying to talk him into it now. 
I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my beds with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. That sounds weird in our culture today, but you, just you fill it in with whatever floats your boat. And that's what she's saying to you. Verse 18. So come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband's not home. He's going on a long journey. He took his purse full of money with him, and he's not going to be home till the full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. And this lady straight up tells him, I'm married. You married? So you know? But he ain't home right now. Now, red flags are everywhere. And this guy should be going, I just don't think this is a good idea. And up on a window, we look down through the lattice and we see it happening. And we go, dude, stop. Don't go upstairs. But what does she do? With persuasive words, she leads him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. I told you this was going to get racy, but check this out. I mean, this was written 3,000 years ago. That's how long ago this was written. 3,000 years ago. And it could easily be the plot of any network TV show today. In fact, I think it is. Right? I was curious about something this week. I was going to make this blanket statement about uh, popular songs. And I was like, I don't like when people make blanket statements and don't do their research. So I did this. I went on the Billboard Top 10 list for last week. And I was like, I wonder what these songs are really about. Now, I'll stand on stage and let you know, I love some of these songs. I pump them in my car. My kids listen to them. We're rocking out. I'm like, what, is it? what are they really about? So I looked up all the lyrics. If you want the full report, I, I, I'm not going to give it to you right now. I'll just give you a summary. But if you'd like to see all of it, just if you're curious, I'll send it to you. It's in a Google document. I'm glad to share it with you. Went through the top ten songs. And this is what I find after reading all the lyrics and just kind of, uh, just kind of reverse engineering them and seeing what the song's about. Out of the top ten songs in America this week, six of those songs are either directly or indirectly about promiscuous sex. Six of ten. What have you get? What would have you have guessed? I don't know. Two are about the same topic, but probably should have been reserved for the privacy of a married couple's bedroom. And I'm not convinced that they were actually written for married people anyway. Only two of the top ten were not standing on that specific topic. And both of those songs had, had uh, references. Now, here's the thing. I'm not trying to be Casey Kasem. I'm not trying to be Ryan Seacrest. See, I just bridged the big generational gap there. <laughs> Same guy, different generation. But what I'm trying to say is, we're pretty flippant when it comes to moral purity. We, we sing it. We dance it. We watch it on TV. At what point do we take a huge step back and like Solomon watching this young man from the lattice upstairs go, something's got to change. Like, look at the foolishness that we immerse ourselves in. No wonder families are crumbling and marriages can't stay together and teenagers are getting pregnant. And every single day on the news you hear about some poor child who's been taken advantage of by some creepy adult who's got issues. Why? Because we pump it into ourselves. And it's easy for us to sit up on the lattice and go, hey, that's their problem. No, it's your problem. What is your favorite television show? Like, I'm not some prude standing up here. We're going to go to a barn raisin later and we're not going to use electricity. No, I'm just saying, let's get real. Let's get real about what we're putting into our minds. The TV shows that we're watching, the internet sites that we frequent, or that we don't want anyone to know that we frequent. See, so many of us are like this young man. We're obviously in a neighborhood that we have no business being in. But on street level, we don't see it. And Mistress Folly is calling out. She's saying, come to my door. I've been looking for you, big boy. And we can say, I didn't mean to. 
But we need to start saying, I mean not to. Back to our guy. Let's finish out his story a little bit. Verse 22 says, at once, he followed her. Listen to this description. Pick on it if you want to, but it's pretty dang good. He followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. Like a deer stepping into a noose with arrows piercing his liver. Like a bird darting into his snare. Little knowing that it would cost him his life. And Mistress Folly claims another victim. And this was written 3,000 years ago, but it could easily be the front page of our newspaper today. Any top movie, any top song, any TV show. And so Solomon, he's speaking to his sons, and he comes to verse 24, and he's got a conclusion, he's got some advice. I love verse 24. I wish that my kids would learn this verse. It says, now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. If you ever need a verse just to throw at your kids, there it is. Now then, son, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Listen to me. He says in verse 25, do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she's brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Each week during this series, I want to pull out a verse from what we study that we can kind of memorize as a community, we can work on. And it was kind of hard to find one in this verse. Like, which one do you pick? Like, you, you just read it with me. Like, which one do we pick? I mean, this one's solid. Do not let your heart turn towards her ways or stray into her paths. And understand here, this isn't some chauvinistic thing and this is, oh, women are bad. Let's, no, this is personification. It's literature. It's poetry. Okay, and so she, she personifies temptation. The things that pull us aside, and I know there's a lot of things that can pull you aside. Maybe you would deal with the temptation to lie. You know, we talk about lying just now, but maybe that's something that you, you battle with. Maybe you have sticky fingers and you have the temptation to steal things that aren't yours. Maybe you have the temptation to be involved in chemical abuse of drugs and alcohol, and you just, you go way too far. You just want to be drunk, and you don't know why, but you just do it all the time. Like, these are things that drag us down, and those things are whispering, come to my door. I've been looking for you. And Solomon says, stop saying I didn't mean to. Begin to mean not to. Don't even let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her path. You know, this, this principle applies to any of those things that I just said, you know, lying and, and stealing. And, and, and I mean, maybe, maybe you've got a tendency to be rude or uncaring, and there's a lot of characteristics that can lead to sinful things. But man, he clearly hits the nail on the head when he talks about this idea of sexual sin and temptation. So I want to take a second and talk about that. This is a thing that we battle with. It might be a thing that makes you a little bit uncomfortable in your seat. Uh, but if you've been here long, you know that I really don't care. Um, I just want to make sure we talk about what's true and what's right and that we think about it as a community. Okay, everybody else is talking about it. Let's talk about it. Um, the principle uh, of this applies directly to this area of, of moral purity. Um, you know the Bible talks about sex a, a good deal. And, you know, we've got some phrases in our, in our world that just aren't true. We say things like sex is for people who are ready. Sex is for people who are mature. Sex is for people who are in love. You know the Bible never says any of those things. There's only one type of people that sex is for. And that's married people. I'm sorry. I know we can think of a million different things that we would rather it say. And you can study it and you can figure it out yourself. Don't take my word for it. But it's not something that you're ready for or mature enough for. It's something that you do because God blessed you with it because it was in the confines of, an, uh, of a relationship that he sanctified. And there's all kinds of spiritual reasons behind it. That's not actually what this is about today. But man, premarital and extramarital sex, those are things that God didn't plan for. It's not his best for you. And if you don't see why, 
look, I'm, I'm, I want to be sensitive with this, but let me just say, open your eyes. Like, look at the world around us and, and, and ask ourselves, does it work to just sleep around? No. It doesn't. The thing beyond that that I think is maybe even a bigger issue is the issue of pornography. You know, pornography, I, I just, I, I'm not going to speak from anything out of my mind. What I'm going to do is read you some statistics that I've been studying over this past week. And guys, I, I got to tell you, I poured over this. Like, I studied and studied, and I wanted to make sure this was accurate and that it was true. I'm just going to give you a handful. Pornography is a huge uh, curse to our world. Uh, did you know that two of the top five searches for kids under the age of 18 are pornography-related? Two of the top five. They don't, they don't care, um, you know what their favorite ice cream flavor is. Like, it's not Andy Griffith. Like, they've got questions, and adults aren't answering them for them, so they ask Google. Two of the top five searches for kids under the age of 18 are pornography-related. According to FocusOnTheFamily.org, the average age of a child's first exposure to online pornography, brace yourself for this, is eight years old. Eight. And this is way beyond finding something under your, your uncle's mattress. This is anything I want to see. Most indications is that it affects girls almost as heavily as it affects boys. I think we have a stigma in our culture like it's a man problem. It's not. It's not a man problem. It's a culture problem. We all bear the weight of the problem. The U.S. spends $13.6 billion on pornography every year. 25% of all search engine requests are pornography related. 25%. Don't tell me that we don't have a problem with Mistress Folly. She's very active and very present in our world. You know, this week uh, I want to do something that's helpful. So we're going to be posting on our blog at jointheventure.com some resources and some helps. Uh, first of all, for you if you're a parent, that you're like, how do I even have this conversation? Uh, there are some great experts out there who have done this and written books about it and talked about it. I want to encourage you to go check that out. Uh, look it up for yourself. Uh, Focusonthefamily.org is a great place to go. Um, but not just for kids. Worldwide. Research has shown that 64% of adults deal with it. Pornography addiction and use. It's a major problem. It's an epidemic. Mistress Folly is calling all who are simple, all who are naive, all who say, it's not that big a deal. She says, come to my door. I was looking for you and I found you. Now, here's what I'm going to do. Over here I had that heavy conversation. That was heavy, right? It's heavy. Some of you took notes. Some of you stared in disbelief. You're like, wow, we just did that. I said there were two invitations. Mistress Folly has hers. Can we leave her in the dust? Because I'm not interested in what she's got to say. Over here is Madam Wisdom. And I want to shift the, the whole mood of this room right now and tell you that Madam Wisdom has got some great things to offer. Uh, understanding victory over the things that tempt us and, and, and victory over our enemies often comes down to us understanding our enemies. Like, how does this temptation thing work in my life? How does it even work. Like, I got to understand that. And so there's, there's lots of places that we can study in the Bible to understand how things work. Uh, but probably the New Testament equivalent to Proverbs in the Bible, that Proverbs is in the Old Testament, probably the New Testament equivalent to that is the book of James. James was a guy who at one point was a complete skeptic about Jesus. He thought Jesus was a lunatic. Uh, we did a six-week study on, on the book of James and the person of James uh, back last year. So maybe you remember that wise words from a former skeptic. And uh, the, James deals with this, but when he discovers Jesus and he learns who he is, actually the thing that convinced James was Jesus died and then rose from the dead, and James saw him. And James was like, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> you see someone rose from the dead, it's a pretty big deal. Um, 
So James in the New Testament of the Bible explains about sin and how it's born and how wisdom can intercept the problems that we have. And so James chapter 1 verse 13 says this, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Did you catch that? It starts as a seed in our mind. Sin often begins in our own mind. Normally when we say, I didn't mean to. Well, really? Like these are real life scenarios. I got pulled over for driving drunk. I didn't mean to. You didn't mean to? You didn't mean to drink eight beers, knowing that you still had to drive home, then get in your car and start it and drive down the road. You didn't mean to? Or you decided that it wasn't your problem anymore to think? What if you meant not to? As we face this question and all the different decisions that we make, we make mistakes, uh, what we instead need to begin to ask ourselves is this. What lie am I believing right now? Because when you're standing in the kitchen and you see the chocolate cake, I'm going to give that as an illustration. What lie am I believing right now? First of all, is it okay just to have a slice of chocolate cake? I want to let you all know if you're on a diet, yes. If you have a gluten intolerance and it will make you uh, die, no. Okay? Um, the key here is always, almost always, moderation. Okay? But the thing is, if you begin to eat slice nine or whatever thing tempts you, the lie that you're beginning to believe is, well, they were small slices. <laughs> right? We do that all the time with sin and temptation. We're like, ah. Well, we begin to rationalize, we begin to talk ourselves into and out of stuff. What lie are you believing right now? Man, I have sat and counseled so many people that are trying to get through various addictions, and that's a question that I learned when I was in counseling myself, that I passed on. What lie are you believing right now? What are you telling yourself? How are you convincing yourself that this is okay? Write that down. That's all you walk away with. Mean not to, and what lie am I telling myself? Like, you'll do better this week if you just work on those two things. But when you hit this spot, uh, and you've gotten into something that you don't need to do, I want to actually find some really practical things that we can do to get out of the temptation. How do we begin to follow the path of uh, Madam Wisdom? Don't let, our, don't let our heart be straight to the path of Mistress Folly, yes. But how do I get back on Madam Wisdom's path? I want to give you two words. They both start with R. Today's message was brought to you by the letter R. Okay, and the first one is this. Uh, when you hit this spot, let me give you an idea. The first thing is this. Recalculate. Can we all say that together? Say recalculate. Recalculate. Cool. I was making sure you weren't asleep. So, um, you remember uh, the old GPS devices in cars, and you'd be riding, and you're going to grandma's house. We go, and you miss a turn, and then the lady goes, "Recalculating, recalculating." I used to hate that lady. I'm like, I know where I'm going. It's a shortcut, you know. Um, but you know, sometimes we end up on this path that we don't need to be on. It. And here's here's one thing we can do. Maybe we're still far out. We see the problem ahead of us. Begin to recalculate. What does that mean? Begin to take some different steps, some different actions. What turn do I need to make very, very soon before I end off completely off the road? Recalculating. Start meaning not to. Maybe you need to say, learn to say things like, I see these red flags popping up everywhere. Warning, warning, warning. I need to not be alone tonight. Recalculating. I need to stop going to that place with those people. Recalculating. I need to hold my tongue. A lot of us battle with that, right? Recalculating. If we can learn to recalculate, it's one plan, okay? That's one plan, recalculate. It's short, but I think you get it, right? Recalculating. How could I begin to make some immediate changes and shifts and turns that are going to change my destination? Let me give you another one. Uh, when I was, um, when, you get, when you get close to, uh, to sin, sometimes it's, it's, it's too close to start recalculating. 
like you're, you're standing right there. The ladies come out. It's, it's 2 a.m. You're out. Uh, you're out in the road with Mistress Folly at the corner, and she's saying, "Come to my house." And you're like, "Okay, I'm looking my problem right in the eyes right now." And so recalculating is sometimes not really an option. Like we don't have a whole lot of time to do like calculations and like looking at a map and calling a friend. Sometimes you need something even faster than that. It's 2 a.m. and you're on the internet and you're looking at some immoral videos that are just dragging you down a path that you don't want to be on. Uh, Maybe you're thinking about starting a fight with your spouse because things just haven't been good at work today and I'm feeling edgy and, uh, and you're right on the edge and it's about to come out of your mouth. Uh, it's test time and you don't feel very prepared for the test and you're sitting there in the moment and you're like, oh man, she has totally shown me the answers to this test. And you could cheat or not, right? You're, you're in the heat of the moment right there. What do you do? Well, there's another story uh, in the Bible that I think we can look at that will help us out a lot. I'm not going to tell the whole thing. I can just kind of abbreviate it quickly. In our story, our young man goes out on the street, and he gets tempted by the lady, and he ends up going to her house. There's another story in the book of Genesis, and there's this guy named Joseph. Joseph is an amazing story. If you look through the, book of, uh, uh, the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, we have one of the most complete uh, biography profiles of a biblical character in the life of joseph we have so many parts of his life and you can see this huge progress of how he kind of gets close to god uh, and, and here's the thing that happens to him he's working for a guy he's kind of a servant for this guy and the exact same scenario happens to him as the guy in, in proverbs this lady comes to him and she's like yeah, i'm guessing she's beautiful and she's uh, and she's uh, she's attractive to him and she basically says listen my husband's not home come to bed with me i love joseph's reaction it's one that I've tried to mimic as many times as I can in my life. Um, I haven't often found myself as someone's servant and the owner of the house's wife asked me to come to bed with her. That's never happened to me, actually. Um, but in situations where I'm looking eye to eye with the thing that's going to bring me down, this is what Joseph does. He's holding on to, I guess, like a cloak, like a jacket or something. He drops his cloak and he runs the opposite way. Just runs. I love it. That's his response. Run. So recalculate might be an option for you, but if you get really close, can I give you another option? Run. You don't have to explain anything to anybody. You don't have to go around and say, listen, I know it might be rude that I'm just kind of leaving this party right now, but listen, I, I've got a problem with over-drinking, and there's a lot of, that, that guy is upside down with a keg and a tube. I, I, I kind of want to do that. You know, I'm, I'm using the whole drinking story. But man, whatever your thing is, don't stop and think about if it's an okay thing to leave. Just leave. Get out of the scenario. It might be standing up from where you are at work because of the situation you're in. You just need to get out of the room. It might be an argument that you're about to have with a friend or a coworker or a family member, your spouse, whatever. And you're just like, I just need a minute. Right? What happens? When you begin to clear your mind, you begin to see things not from street level but from upstairs. You begin to look down and go, yeah, yeah, man, wow, that was a close one. I love what the Apostle Paul teaches to this young man. That he's, uh, that he's met, he's kind of taught through some things. His name's Timothy. And we're going to read this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. He tells Timothy, Flee the evils and desires of your youth, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call the Lord out of a pure heart. He says, just run away from it. But don't just run. Sometimes we run and we want to run into the arms of whatever accepting thing is out there. And that's, I think, where we make a mistake. We just run and we're like, oh, I'm so scared. And we go, we go speak to somebody who doesn't really have any business giving an advice. He says, run and pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace, along with all those others who have been called to the Lord in a pure heart. Where are you going when you run? You know, Madam Wisdom is calling, come to my house. I've got an invitation and it's open to you. And it's a strong house. There's seven pillars after all. And you'll be safe. All through the book of Proverbs, Wisdom speaks 
And when she speaks, what we learn is, it's actually not just this big personification. There's actually someone speaking behind it. And you know who it is? Lady Wisdom is the voice of God. In fact, I believe it's the Holy Spirit. We don't see the Holy Spirit speak much in the Bible. You hear Jesus talk, you hear God the Father talk to people. But the Holy Spirit is kind of like this uh, mysterious thing. I don't really know what he does. I believe that it'd be very easy to see how the Holy Spirit is the words of Madam Wisdom in this scenario. She's the voice of God and she says, come to my house. God is saying, you've been out there walking the road long enough. You've been looking around in the wrong places long enough. You made mistakes. And here's the thing. I'm standing here with my arms open. I'm your dad. I love you. I know what you've been up to, and I'm not mad. I just want you to come home so I can make it right. You can't make it right by yourself. I can make it right. I love this song that was popular. Uh, I think it came out in like 2002, and people did it in churches. And uh, I haven't heard it in a while in churches, but it was by a guy named Chris Tomlin, and it's called Come Home Running. Look it up. Look it up, especially if you've got something that you're battling with, and you're trying to just find some peace with God. Look up Come Home Running. I looked last night. It's on YouTube. And the chorus of that song is beautiful. Because it explains what it means to find yourself looking eye to eye with Mistress Folly and say, I'm not going to fall into her path. I'm going to go home to Madam Wisdom, to the arms of the God who loves me, to Jesus. Come home running to him. This is the chorus. It says, come home running. His arms are open wide. His name is Jesus and he understands. He's the answer that you've been looking for. So come home running just as you are. Do nothing, or do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her path. Because Mistress Folly has nothing to offer. There's nothing on her table that's going to fill you up or make you feel good. Turn your heart to Jesus, who loves you so much that he gave his life for you. And he says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the path. Come home running. Bring your background. Bring your baggage. Come just like you are and accept my invitation. Come home. And that's wisdom. Let me just pray for you guys. Lord, we love you and it's a blessing to get in your word and just study some of the harder truths of life. It'd be easy to stand up and every week talking about how to make uh, how to make more joy or talk about how if we trust God with our money, we can all be filthy rich and live in mansions and drive boats to work. Um, but that's not that's not real life. Lord, you, we deal with real stuff every day. Lord, right now I just pray for this generation. Um, as each one of us in this room has to go home and deal with this message in our own way, and like, what is the temptation that drags us away from you, Lord? That we we recognize, yeah, there, there's a problem, and there's 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 the devil, and there's sin, but you are so much greater. Greater are you than anything that is in this world. That we can come home running to you. May we seek wisdom in our life. May we not stray into her path, Madam Mistress Folly's path, but step on the path that only Jesus can trailblaze for us. We love you so much, God, and we pray in Jesus' name.